Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So I'm hoping today's episode can be a bit more out there. Like out in outer space? Could be outer space. Could be technologically. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about stuff that is not in sort of the mainstream right now. All right. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So normally we talk about, you know, papers that come out of Google, but I assume we're not talking about that today. We're not talking about Google today, are we? Well, we're talking about Google a little bit, which we should say, because maybe that wasn't clear from the introduction. But we're talking about a part of Google that isn't usually creating stuff like uh, research papers or <sighs> machine learning libraries or that kind of stuff. Instead, I think the the folks in our audience, while this might not be data science proper, might find the Google X uh, enterprise pretty interesting. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. That sounds good. Um I assume it's called Google X because if you add X to the end of anything, it sounds cooler. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so Google X is what they call their moonshot factory. Oh, and, I have heard that term. Uh, sure. Yeah. So this is a cutting edge R&D lab that follows somewhat in the tradition of some other institutions like Bell Labs or Xerox Park, if those are things that folks are familiar with. Mm -hmm. And the rough idea is that Google is this big organization, uh, a monopoly, or practically so in many places. So they have some incentive to, um, they have to have some way of pushing themselves, I suppose, of um, staying on the edge of things. And so Google X is an institution that they've set up internally to work on what they call moonshot projects that they think are really visionary, really cool but that won't come to be out of the normal product development process. So like long bets or long shots? So both of those are good points. Their time horizon is usually five to 10 years. So it's not like 50 years. Mm. And long shots, yes, they start with things that are not foregone conclusions, like not incremental progress on what you have right now. These are 10x improvements over the status quo. But the whole way that the institution is set up is designed to take these ideas and punch holes in them as quickly as possible. So start out with the assumption that it probably, it's like it works and it doesn't work at the same time. It works in the sense that you have to be a little bit uh, willfully naive, um, you know, come up with something that sounds so crazy that it, it just yeah. could work. But then quickly be very skeptical of your own idea and try to figure out why it doesn't work. Because in many cases, these things won't work, right? But figure out why uh, so that you can disqualify the idea and move on to whatever the next thing is. And so that sets up a, a system for moving through interesting ideas quite quickly, and but continuing to invest in them if you know you're coming up with hypotheses about why it might not work and then finding yourself invalidating those hypotheses and and thus basically keeping the idea alive that's really interesting uh, it, it's interesting that those two mindsets seem to be completely opposing and yet when you put them together you don't get nothing you actually might get uh, uh synergistic effects i hate using the word synergy because it, it's such a buzzword <laughs> but um but yeah it seems it seems like that mentality is it's good for 
moonshot projects, but I think it's also just good for real life as well, you know, like every once in a while trying to take a step back from the thing that you know and look at it from 10,000 feet or 30,000 feet. Um, try to dream uh, bigly is what I was going to say. <laughs> um, but then to try to, to, I guess, reality test those ideas to see like, is your perspective uh, with the way that you're currently going about something, is it actually naive in some way and, and you're not seeing some interesting thing that you could be doing instead, uh, but also to not waste too much time and to kind of move through ideas quickly. Well, yeah, and I think that's especially interesting to folks who probably listen to this podcast, folks who work in fields like data science and machine learning, where there's a lot of interesting possibility space of what could happen. And usually teams that have you know more ideas than they have time to execute on, there's perhaps high expectations on them. Mm-hmm. And so what's the way that you can be, stay aggressive, and but also be responsible with uh, with the resources that you have. I think somewhere I read the phrase responsibly irresponsible. Um, so irresponsible, Ooh, yeah, cool. irresponsible in the sense you're coming up with kind of crazy ideas, but then responsible in the sense that you're working through them in a fairly methodical and, and well thought out way to figure out which ones will work. Because even if there's only, you know, a 1% or a 5% success rate, if you're working on things that are big enough and you're disqualifying the losers quickly enough, then you can still end up with some really, really cool stuff. That's probably also interesting in terms of prioritization, because if you're on a very short-term time frame and you're, all of your deadlines are very short, then you can't really dream big or think big. Uh, but if you have a long enough time horizon, then you can take some of these uh, these ideas that have a lower chance of success but could reap larger rewards, and you can actually evaluate them as part of your longer-term strategy. Yeah, I think there's a couple pieces to how you should think about this sort of thing, because you're right. This isn't big, long-term moonshot stuff is not usually something that you can spend all of your time on. There's other demands on you. So I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, even within Google X, they have a portfolio approach. So they have multiple projects that are running together and they try to keep some kind of balance about the, you know, the different time horizons that they have, the different types of risks that they're, uh, that they're toying with across the different projects that they have. Like some of the, some of the projects might be technically risky. Some of them might be risky from a economic viability standpoint or a, you know, marketing standpoint or whatever. And they have the idea also of establishing milestones on different timescales for these projects. So the Hmm. first, the first stage of the process is called, I think, rapid eval. And, you know, you'll spend a couple weeks, maybe with a team of five people, a few thousand dollars, and you're just toying with the idea and trying to, you know, like I said, trying to figure out why it won't work. And if something survives that stage, then it moves on to this second group called the foundry, which is where you have a bigger investment that the group is making. Maybe it has like a longer term team. It's being worked on over a series of months. Again, you're trying to make a bigger investment in the riskiest parts of the project. And then once it gets through that stage, then it can even be spun off into its own company in the case of something like uh, the self-driving cars turning into Waymo is probably the most famous example. So for folks who are familiar with something like the startup culture 
it's not unlike raising venture capital in the sense that there's different stages of investment that you get and sort of succeeding at one stage means that you get to unlock the next stage and it's probably going to be uh, a bigger investment and with higher expectations. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess the advantage in particular in being in Google X is that you have some job security, whereas if you're in a startup, you're kind of wondering well, how, how far is this going to take me? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's I think it's a really good uh perspective even if you're not uh, if you're not starting a startup or if you're not in a startup or working at Google X it's a really neat perspective to take to kind of your everyday job and and um, to use almost as a tool to try to figure out where your blind spots might be have you used this in your work before so we've used something that's kind of similar not exactly the same so Google X is a little bit unique in the sense that, as I think you know, Google got broken up as a company into a bunch of different ones. This was a few years ago now. So it's Google is now part of this larger group of companies called Alphabet. Right. And so, you know, usually if there's something that is a research project that's directly relevant to Google, it's just done within Google. So Google X is kind of like a slightly separate entity within this and they're they're coming up with stuff that's like outside of any of the you know portfolio companies proper so anyway all this to say that most of the work that i do is you know directly relevant to what, to what my company is doing right now it's not like oh come up with an entirely new uh <laughs> you know we work in person level data science why don't you figure out how to do like logistics we're like no um yeah. so but we we have done a lot of things that felt similar as I was reading about this. So we did come up with kind of a process for quickly going through and doing a first pass evaluation of lots of ideas to try to figure out which ones we wanted to focus on. And then we've also used a lot of the kind of that same idea of making earlier, smaller investments into the fundamental the most fundamental or the riskiest parts of, especially, you know, the data science methodology, or can we get the actual data that we need to execute on this? Those are usually the problems that we tackle first. And sometimes the answer is no, and then we move on. And if the answer is yes, then that's when we have more investment that we put into it. And that's led us to have some, you know, some pretty nice results in the sense that uh, you know, we can we can take that portfolio approach and have several different projects that are on different different time scales and different levels of aggression. For stuff that is we know is more in the research stage, we can explicitly time box it ahead of time and say, you know, if we figure this out within the next month, then we're going to keep going with it. But if at the end of the month we haven't figured it out, then let's not keep going down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really important piece of it because it's very easy if you don't time box it, if you don't say this is the amount of time that I'm willing to spend on this from now going forward. Uh it's very easy to feel like you're right on the brink of something. Oh my and gosh, then yes. spend months and months extra and then never get anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most important part to making all this work too is having a having a very open and kind of safe environment in the sense that people feeling like 
a project being discontinued doesn't mean that it's failed in a sense that, Mm -hmm. you know, that can be a really good outcome is discontinuing a project because you don't want to spend all your time on things that are only good. If it means that then you can't spend any time on things that are going to be great. There's a lot of things that are good, but with limited resources, you want to find the stuff that's great. And so having everybody feel like aligned with that central mission, you know, some people get really attached to their, to their ideas and to their projects. And that's actually really good. It, you know, it means that they're invested and they're pushing things forward. But at the end of the day, if you find that something isn't possible, then that doesn't mean that it was a bad idea or that you should regret having tried it. Right. Yeah, that's actually something that I've learned working at larger companies is the mentality of bad things are not always bad. You know, like if you bring the site down, obviously that's really bad for whoever is using the site. And it's obviously really bad for your company's reputation, etc. But putting blame on the individual who did that is not necessarily the right course of action. The right course of action is to say, okay, what processes led to this failure? Not who made this failure. What processes led to this failure and how can we change these processes or increase testing or make pushes safer or whatever it is to avoid this problem in the future? And by removing blame from the process, it makes a safer environment for people to take risks that can reap uh, large rewards. Yeah, that blameless postmortem is can be a really, really good way of learning from the things that go wrong, because that's especially, that's where you want to be the most cognizant of learning, right? Is that you just went through all the, all the pain you've paid the price of having to learn something the hard way. Um, right. But until you have a chance to sit down and say like, okay, what did we just learn the hard way? Then you haven't really digested it or you know, arguably like really actually learned from it. Yeah. I would also make the case that failing once is not a failure. I mean, it's a failure to the consumer, but it's not an organizational failure, really. Um, maybe it's a lack of, of foresight or something. But failing a second time the exact same way, that is a failure. You know, if that ever happens, it means that you didn't, uh, not you, but the organization, the company did not learn the lesson the first time. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting doing those blameless postmortems and almost feeling a point of, it's, it feels really strange to say, but almost feeling like it's a point of pride, like, yeah, I took down the site or I, I caused this issue. And because of it, the processes are changing and the company is way better for it. And our processes are way better for it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think one way that data scientists encounter this, that's a little bit different from software engineers that I'll just mention in closing yeah. is that because data scientists do so much work with data, you know, quintessential example is you're using data to build a model and then success is whether that's a model that does a good job at predicting the thing that you care about then it can be really really hard to predict whether the data is going to be good for the thing that you want to predict with it and this is a place where sometimes there's a little bit of disconnect between folks who are used to working with pure software engineers versus data scientists is that um, with pure software engineers, I think, you know, in many cases, it's an issue of anything's possible. It's just some things are 
difficult, um, you know, but mm-hmm. if you decided that you wanted to hit a certain benchmark at the cost of everything else, you probably could. Like most things are possible if you put enough work into them. Whereas with data science, if you don't have the right data to begin with, there are certain things that you're just never going to be able to predict well. There's a certain limit to how much information you can get out of any data set out there. And so that can be something that's a little bit challenging for data scientists sometimes to communicate to their stakeholders and that sometimes can leave data scientists second guessing themselves or spending way too much time on a hopeless problem. So for folks who recognize that in that possibility for themselves, like keep that in mind that um, you shouldn't give up too easily just because the data is not super high quality for what you're trying to do with it. But at the end of the day, you are somewhat at the mercy of the materials that you have to work with. Yeah, I guess that's a really good point to close on. Um, I guess this uh, this almost feels like an example where we can look at the outlier uh, or look at the, the edge cases and learn from them. Like probably no one or very few people who listen to this podcast are going to be working at a place like Google X, but you can but we can look at organizations like that and see the the ways that they approach problems and maybe water it down or dilute it a little bit and and find ways that we can apply it to our own day to day. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, so on that note, we'll attach a few pretty good articles that I found about Google X to lineardigressions.com. It's kind of funny cuz they talk about it as this top secret Google thing, but there's articles about it all over the web. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so we'll attach a few articles that I thought were kind of interesting. And if you're interested in uh, versions of this from the past, even perhaps more high profile and cutting edge in some ways than Google X or anywhere else, there's a really good book called The Idea Factory, which was all about Bell Labs, which was doing all of this and more in uh, kind of the middle part of the 20th century another really great research lab so if you're really into reading about this kind of stuff you'll probably like that book linear digressions is a creative commons endeavor which means you can share or use it any way you like just tell them we said hi to find out more about this or any other episode of linear digressions go to lineardigressions.com And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at lindigressions. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.